Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. How are you feeling today, Kate? Man, I mean, that's a real question. (laughs) (laughs) When we are recording this, it's the day after the new moon in Scorpio, right? I believe so. Yeah, so honestly, I'm really exhausted. I think this was just like a really intense one. And I mean, beyond the usual sort of just general intenseness. I would agree with that. I'm currently reading all the new moon tips in my inbox right now, trying to understand why I am so exhausted. Please forward them to me. (laughs) I definitely will. But tired or not, I am super happy that we're finally talking about Hecate. Our listeners don't know this, but we originally wrote this piece a while back with the idea that Hecate would be part of our Samhain episode. But there was just so much to say about this goddess that we felt like she deserved her own day. And seeing as how we're encroaching upon November 30th, one of her most sacred days, it feels fitting that we waited. Yeah, and I know that we spoke a little bit about this, um, you and I, but there was a little bit of intimidation uh, approaching this episode, um, which does feel very fitting. Yes, I was very excited, but very intimidated as well. Hecate's message is stern. She doesn't sugarcoat things. She wants to know that you're serious when you invoke her for guidance. She has quite a presence. As soon as I heard about Hecate, I had really fallen in awe of her and her energy. I mean, how could you not? Maybe it's the Scorpio rising in both of us. (laughs) But before we go deeper into today's discussion, it's probably worth mentioning that both Kate and I have researched and heard many variations in regards to how to pronounce Hecate. I've heard it articulated Hecate or Ecata and many others, but we're going with the pronunciation that we're most comfortable with. And chances are, since Hecate's story has evolved over generations and been adopted into different pantheons, that the pronunciation of her name has also changed. And honestly, I think the confusion uh, over how to pronounce her name just adds to the air of mystery. Agreed. And speaking of mystery, let's get started with some background on the goddess of crossroads and her connection to the arcane world of plant medicine and magic. Gather around, listeners. I want to tell you a little story about the goddess of the underworld. Enter Hecate's garden. In Hecate's garden, we know that the goddess and witch in all of us thrives. It is there that this high priestess and shaman tends to her medicinal and poisonous plants, the serpents, and also to herself. 
Today, we know Hecate as a goddess of Greek mythology who is capable of both good and evil. She is especially associated with witchcraft, magic, the moon, doorways, and creatures of the night, such as hellhounds and ghosts. Hecate presides over magic and spells. She witnessed the abduction of Persephone to the underworld, and, torch in hand, assisted in the search for her. Because of this myth, pillars called Hecatea stood at crossroads and doorways, with the intention of keeping away evil spirits. Hecate was represented as single-formed, clad in a long robe, holding burning torches, and in later representations, triple-formed, with three bodies standing back-to-back, probably so that she could look in all directions at once from the crossroads. She was also accompanied by packs of barking dogs. A true icon. Goals, for sure. (laughs) From Flora Mythologica by Johann Heinrich Dierbach, he wrote, Hecate, also called Daughter of the Night, was particularly famous for her herbal knowledge. She could identify and knew the poisonous, harmful roots, as well as she knew the true medicinal herbs. She also taught her daughters about the poisonous and healing plants. When I think about my connection to witchcraft personally, it has so much to do with both words and the magic of the natural world. When I was a kid, I was pretty obsessed with the datura in my grandmother's garden and would leave poems for fairies in the garden under the full moon. So speaking now to this moon goddess gives me absolute chills. Datura thrives in Hecate's garden, however, henbane was considered her most sacred plant. It was said that henbane contains psychoactive and hallucinatory properties, and that the oracles and the sibyls would inhale the smoke from burning henbane in order to divine and give oracles in a trance-like state. Henbane is also considered an aphrodisiac and was a favorite addition to any love potion crafted by the Thessalian witches. More about them later. But this is another passage um, from Deerbach, the garden of Hecate, wherein she grew her poisonous plants and medicinal herbs was found on Phasis. It was next to the imperial city of Aetes, surrounded by insurmountable walls nine fathoms high protected by seven bastions and guarded by three iron towers. High on the posts of the tower stood Artemis, radiating a trembling brilliance with a horrifying gaze that no mortal could withstand if he did not approach with gifts and purification offerings. Which is clearly a gaze we all need to cultivate more of in our lives. (laughs) Yes, yes. There was also Mandrake and Henbane and Cypress and Datura and Yu. In the center of Hecate's garden was a tall oak tree on which a mysterious golden fleece grew. What this book says, I'm not quite sure what it means, but we can see how this runs parallel with the Garden of Eden in the Bible and the Tree of Knowledge. However, in Hecate's garden, the serpent guards the oak tree and the golden fleece. I love the idea of the snake being a protector in the story versus the evil, tricky temptress that we often see in religious lore. 
Yeah, and some actually speculate that the golden fleece is actually some sort of psychoactive mushroom. But back to the Thessalian witches, in Thessaly, the servants and priestesses of Hecate were known for their witchcraft, and Thessaly is thought to be the first home of magic. So in the Thessalian region of Pharsalus, <laughs> say that ten times fast, an ancient bas-relief <laughs> was found on which Demeter and Persephone stand across from one another. They offer each other an identifiable mushroom, and perhaps this image represents the great goddess with her priestesses, the first witch. Could mushrooms have been a secret remedy of the Thessalian witches? Magical abilities were attributed to these women, and they had magical sayings with which they could draw down the moon, which I think is such a beautiful line. Powerful women rule the domain of the garden, and this is a fact throughout history. And because you can't have a garden without a serpent, there were many snakes living in the garden of Hecate, and they were considered sacred to the goddess. I think that snakes really encompass the duality of her, healing and health, while also sickness and death. And we can imagine the serpent in all the ways that the serpent stands for, snake medicine. From the Oxford Classical Dictionary, regarding the nature of her cult, it has been remarked, she is more at home on the fringes than in the center of Greek polytheism. Intrinsically ambivalent and polymorphous, she straddles conventional boundaries and eludes definition. I absolutely love that description of Hecate. She eludes definition. Because she does. Maybe that's why I felt so intimidated when I sat down to write this episode for her. Because even if you've worked with her for quite some time and have a good understanding of who she is and how she shows up in our life, our perception of her is likely limited. I have a hard time believing that she is showing us everything. I get big-time Scorpio vibes from her, although I read somewhere that she actually aligns with Aquarius. Interesting. Maybe it's in part my Aquarius sun and then Scorpio rising that resonates with her then, but I'll have to look into that more deeply. Um, and for anyone listening that wants to do more research, I read a lot of this um, information in witchcraft medicine, healing arts, shamanic practices, and forbidden plants, which is an amazing book if you're looking for further reading. I want to explore a little more about Hecate's relationship to crossroads. Crossroads, thresholds, and liminal spaces have been on my mind a lot lately, so when I stumbled upon the story of Jay's grave, I knew that I wanted to talk about it in this episode, and perhaps explore some varying viewpoints on the power of crossroads. Jay's grave is one of the most well-known and spiritually active sites in Dartmoor, a now famous landmark in Devon, England. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to talk about this because I've actually visited Dartmoor when I was about 13 years old. Oh my gosh, please tell me that you visited Jay's grave. You know, I honestly may have. Um, I'm not 
I'm not quite sure, but I remember a lot of the mythology around the Moors being incredibly intriguing to me, but I was really young, so I'm going to have to call my mom and ask her about it after this, and I'll let you know, but it's strange because I remember so much hellhound um, folklore about the Moors, and at night there were some pretty chilling noises coming from... (laughs) The darkness, which now knowing more about um, Hecate makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Definitely. Well, the story goes that sometime around 1850, an unmarried woman named Kitty J became pregnant. Instead of celebrating, the soon-to-be mother was devastated. She knew that news of a baby would not be well-received by her family or neighbors, so she did the only thing she could think of she committed suicide. The villagers, who believed that death wasn't punishment enough for the sin of sex outside of marriage, did not give her a traditional burial, and instead buried her at a crossroads outside of town. Now, the act of burying her at a crossroads wasn't so that Hecate could guide the woman and her unborn child to the next life, but because the villagers believed that by burying her outside of town, where the roads intersected, her spirit would be unable to find its way back, an eternal punishment for a woman who dared step beyond the boundaries of a patriarchal society. Keep in mind that I do not know Kitty's religious beliefs, but based on the villagers' reaction to her pregnancy, coupled with the knowledge that the Christian church's reach was only growing stronger in 19th century England, it's probably safe to assume that if anyone knew of the goddess of crossroads, She was considered evil. But, however heartbreaking the story is, for me, there was something so comforting about the thought of Kitty being buried where Hecate was sure to find her. Even more satisfying was the fact that it would be out of character for Hecate to ignore the misdeeds that this young woman experienced during life and death. I feel pretty confident that the villagers received some form of divine punishment from the goddess of crossroads. Before Hecate was adopted into the Greek pantheon, she showed up in ancient Egypt as Hecat, the Egyptian goddess of midwifery. Perhaps that's why modern-day Hecate has a soft spot in her heart for women, mothers, newborns, and maidens going through the change from childhood to adulthood. It might also be why Hecate is often referred to as a mother goddess— But she's not the soft, cuddly, hallmark movie mother who lets her child, or anyone for that matter, walk all over her. She is a fierce protector, a mama bear, the one that will not think twice about seeking revenge if her children are harmed. She's the mother that you don't cross. She demands respect, and if we're smart, we'll listen. There are several days considered sacred to Hecate. In Italy, people celebrate her memory with a feast on August 13th. But, like all things related to this goddess, there's much debate over the significance of that date, with some people insisting that Hecate was a watcher of storms who protected a family's harvest during the crucial months before winter. Personally, I never really aligned with that idea, especially since Hecate has such a close relationship to Demeter, the goddess of agriculture. This seems like more of her domain, especially since Lamas falls around that time. 
Most people, myself included, agree that Hecate's Supper likely corresponds to Nemeralia, the festival of torches that celebrates Diana, the Roman goddess of the hunt. While Diana and Hecate are unique in their own right, as civilizations merged and spirituality evolved, Diana and Hecate's realms of influence were often conflated. We can also honor Hecate on the 29th of each month. No matter the lunar phase, the moon belongs to Hecate on this day. Oh my gosh, my birthday is also the 29th in January. I'm just finding so much resonance today. That's such kismet. You know, I don't believe in coincidences, only synchronicities. So that might be something for you to look into in the future. But perhaps the greatest time to honor Hecate is November 30th. This is the day when we celebrate our Queen of the Crossroads. When you read about this celebration, it's called the Festival of Hecate Trivia. Although it looks like the English word trivia, it's actually the Latin phrase for a three-way crossroads. Because yes, although Hecate is the watcher of crossroads, it's the three-way crossroads where she lives and breathes. Kristen, I'm curious, um, how do you work with Hecate in your own practice? That's a good question. I suppose it all depends on my intention. I actually just wrote an enchantment ritual on the Magic and Alchemy blog that was adapted from an ancient Greek ritual where Hecate's followers would collect broken pieces of stone or pottery from a three-way crossroads and then call on Hecate to enchant it, thereby creating a protection talisman. But if I'm looking to Hecate for general guidance, I would try to find something that we have in common. I know that we're both lovers of life's mysteries, but also solitude, and I feel that Hecate is a no-thrills kind of lady. Mm -hmm. So I might set aside an hour for myself, light a black candle, and write her a letter, petitioning her to show up in that night's dreams, since everyone knows by now dream divination is my favorite. But there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to working with any deity, and we can invoke Hecate's guidance anytime we feel lost or have lost a part of ourselves, when we're on the verge of or in the midst of a major shift, for fertility concerns or issues related to puberty or womanhood, or just for anyone who wants to tap into the divine feminine aspect of the psyche. Hecate can also help with plants, especially those within a devotional or magical garden, or when trying to communicate with animals, especially dogs. But one of the most intriguing and intimidating reasons to call upon Hecate is when we want to be led to our true calling. But like all intention-setting rituals, I would advise the practitioner to be careful what they wish for, for this request is often followed by a grand shift that will likely be uncomfortable, at least at first. An important reminder. I love all of these ideas. Why do you think that so many people are drawn to Hecate, despite her intensity and mysterious persona? I suppose I can only speak for myself, but I love that Hecate is the keeper of mysteries, but also a lover of solitude. I absolutely align with that lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> but 
But she's also a triple goddess who supports us through each stage of life, be it maidenhood, motherhood, cronehood, or beyond. So I think she appeals to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. She also liberates women and outcasts from the limiting views of a patriarchal society, which is a woman we all need in our life right now. Yes. She also possesses a wealth of divine feminine power that threatens the beliefs of many groups who fear the wild woman, hence why certain religious groups tried to paint Hecate as an evil, hideous crone. They feared the creative power of her cauldron. There's really just so much to admire about this woman. And really just so much to admire about the crone, too. It's really strange to me that um, they wanted to use the crone as something derogatory or offensive, especially because I believe that if you translate the word hag, it loosely comes to the word holy. So how do you work with this crone archetype in your own life? Good question. I think for me, it's just... Finding a way to let go of the fear that comes with change, not just specifically related to age, but that is a big part of it. We have to understand that life as a whole is a living, breathing entity, and we're a part of that. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a way to move through these cycles with grace, but also find joy in it. I think maybe we should talk more about the archetype of a crone in a future episode. I love that idea. Listeners, what do you think? Let us know if there are topics that you'd like to see us cover. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, the new podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Baloo and at East and Alchemy. As I mentioned, send us your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk about one of Hecate's close friends, Persephone, and her descent into the underworld. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be, or something better. Until next time.